This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to Practically Pastoring, a podcast by pastors for pastors who want to share ideas, become better shepherds, and have a good time with friends. My name is Frank Gill. I'm a campus pastor in the beautiful and sunny Milwaukee, Wisconsin, all the way from Baltimore, Maryland, Jeff Simpson. Hello. Down in Sumter, South Carolina, Delmar Pete. Hello there. Also, somehow COVID-free, all the way in Tarpon Springs, Florida, Timothy Miller. Howdy. And lastly, sitting in for Andrew, he is a live groups and online campus pastor at Harbor Point Church in San Juan Capistrano, California, Jeff Bach. Hey, what to do, nephew? Jeff, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, I, I, I have so many questions for you. How is California? How is living in literal paradise, but also tyranny, apparently? How, how's it all going for you? Uh, California is uh, both liberal and conservative, so it's it's good. You just you you get to feel the the pull. It's you know we're fine out here, just like everywhere else. I think I, I you know I'm I'm trying to figure out how to give you a, a status of how we are without totally giving my my full opinion. You know I think uh, we we have groups and organizations that say that they're being uh, persecuted against because they can't meet in a building. And yet no one's telling them that they can, can't worship Jesus. So we're doing just fine. God's still good, and our church never closed. So that's, that's the way that I see this, is we, God, God never stopped. He didn't stop on March 15th when we were told to shut down, and, and he hasn't yet. So, so we're, we're good. And uh, this is the first year in 28 years I haven't gone to summer camp. So I don't know if that's a blessing. or How'd that feel? It was, um, it was freeing. It was, uh, <laughs> no, it was... <laughs> It was nice. I, I've slept in my own bed most of most of the summer, so it was weird. Uh, man, it's like it's been, and, and this goes into every part of kind of my journey, which I I I I found out. I mean, I can get into this now, or we can wait until you actually ask the question. Let's get it now. Tell us. So, I mean, yeah. I was asked before Christmas break of 2019 if I would consider and pray about what it looked like for me to transition out of student ministries and, and to head up our life group ministry, which at the point, at that point I told him I never really, I like, I have not one day of my life woken up thinking, gosh, I can't wait until the day that I become a life groups pastor. Like that's every boy's dream. And they, and, and so we kind of talked. And I think one of the things I had always said that I wanted to, if, if I was going to leave where I'm at and what I'm doing in student ministries, um, I, I, I had thought that, becoming a, a, a campus pastor or, you know, kind of on that sort of a track would be something that I'd like. And, and they said, well, we actually see that in you too, but you, you haven't spent a whole lot of time in the DNA of who we are as a church. And if we as the church are doing life groups and rooted, which is a network that was kind of birthed out of Mariners out here in, in Southern California, which is essentially where Harbor Point comes out of as well, that if you haven't spent any time in that, then it's going to be hard for you to really replicate the DNA of our church so we want you to come and do that and to also help architect some of who we are as a church. And so that, that became a little bit more appealing than just be becoming as a life group pastor. I feel like the stereotype of that is, is uh, you just do everything the senior pastor doesn't like to do. So 
Um, so that was something that I, I prayed about and talked with my wife about. And um, January, end of January, start of February is when I decided that that I was going to make that transition. So we announced it to our students. We began the process of kind of saying, hey, I'm going to be stepping down, but they've been kind enough to allow me to help choose my successor to kind of help set the student ministries off and then COVID. So that was, so this literally has been for me, I made the decision in January and I actually like, I think you guys are literally the first people that I'm telling because I don't think this is going to go public until uh, a couple days later. When does this go live? T- tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. Okay, that's good enough. So, um, <laughs> uh, how about this? We we have offered, and uh, we have we have offered, and and someone is accepted as the high school pastor. So, I literally am meeting with them today to give give them literal and figurative keys. I emptied out my office yesterday. So, all these things that I've been sitting here waiting to do since January is what I get to do. And, and again, none of it, I don't blame anyone for it. It was in the middle of a pandemic. Our church was wanted to be wise about saying, we don't want to hire somebody on staff if we're going to have to lay them off six months later because we don't have the funds for that. And so we had to put our, our search process on hold. We had to do all those sorts of things. And so the idea, I mean, literally August 1st, though I've had this job title and a, and a small pay bump, um, like I, I for the first time, August 1st is going to be the first time that I actually get to feel what it likes feel, to live and feel what it feels like to be a, a, a life groups pastor and online campus pastor. So refer to me as that too, gentlemen. Now it's interesting. Cause like, I think Delmar and I are in a similar situation as you are, is we made this transition literally a, a handful of months right before COVID. And then now we're in COVID. And so like, even all the things that we were able to like kind of mentally process of, okay, if I transition, this is my, what it looks like. This is what it would look like. This is what we'll be doing. It's nothing like that, right? Like it's, it's not at all what we even signed up for when we made this transition. And, and, and just like you, we have had to now learn new skills and add things to our, to our resume to be able to even do the job that we're doing now, which wasn't even a job you know, six months ago or whatever. So I guess I like, mean, go ahead. No, I think one of the, the biggest things that I'm grateful for is where I'm at now, but I'm even more grateful that I didn't have a clue about COVID when I was interviewing for this or whatever, because knowing that that was coming, I'm just, I know who I am. And I'd be like, man, I'm not going to be on a new frontier with a new thing and a new career, you know? So for me, like not knowing was, I think the biggest grace that I ever had. Yeah, and I, I would say it's similar. I'm not sure if I would have decided to go on and uproot my entire life. Like, m- my benefit is I get to stay in my church, kind of like you, Frank. Like, I'm still in the, I'm still in the system. I'm still part of of the same church, and so these are people I like. I trust the the leadership and the organization. But I'm not sure if I would have said I'm going to toss away. I mean, I've done youth ministry for 28 years, and then to sit here and go, you know, during a pandemic, why don't we give something else a new shot? So, I don't know if I'm that kind of a risk taker. 28 years, man, that is respect. I'll solemnly say that is, is it, is it, or is it, I just needed to leave sooner. I don't know. (laughs) I'm going to choose the former. Any ministry for 28 years is respect, man. uh, Uh, Yeah. True that. Jeff, I have a, I I have a question for you in in regards to this. And I think I would love to hear Delmar, Tim, and, and even Jeff, if you have an answer for this, but like one thing I was thinking of because it was so close to like, I, I transitioned and then COVID happened is there are things I think about, like if I were still in student ministry, I was still in my former job, 
it would have been cool if I got this this opportunity because I got to be creative and do that, but I don't have those opportunities because I'm in this new role. Like I one thing I, I think about, which I'm I'm like partly glad I don't get to do it, but also glad like I kind of like wish I had the opportunity was I'm seeing all these churches, you know, innovate in student ministry by doing like talk shows or doing like these very interesting things where they go to different houses and drop off stuff as a way of like pastoring them. What are the things that like, since you transitioned before COVID, but you've kind of get to observe student ministry from a distance during this COVID season, what is like one or two things that you're like, man, I wish I had the opportunity to do this. Or on the other hand, maybe what's the thing that you're glad you didn't have to deal with um, being a youth pastor in this COVID time? I'll take, I'll take first. Cause I've been sitting in that this past week. Um, our church just hired one of my former students to take my position. So like that, that actually was announced today. So like being able, like to me, there's a little satisfaction in that, but they are doing the thing that I really wanted to do. We had our services split between middle school and high school because we needed to for a period. And then we lit it out in our facilities and there was no more space. And I actually remember thinking to myself eight months ago, the next step for this ministry is putting it back together and moving it to the main worship center. But it would take an act of God to do that because we're so stuck in our rut. (laughs) And now like literally (laughs) they're doing that. And uh, so I do think like, there's a part of me that's like, man, I would, I felt like I was able to look out over the promised land, you know, and be like, that's it. Cause I know when it hits that and they fill that new space, I know what that's going to do. Um, but I, at the same time, f- that feeling of being able to step out so someone else can step in and carry it. I'll be honest, man. I'm, a, I'm very happy, but that's also bittersweet. And I think if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't be in the right place emotionally with it. So. I think for me as, as a lead pastor, I was a bit conservative when we went to our all online gatherings. I was safe. I didn't take a ton of chances. I mean, we experimented with some uh, just a few different. We didn't do a traditional on stage setting. We kind of did the back of the worship center thing to give it a different vibe and feel. But for the most part, I still felt like we were pretty safe in our creative choices. Um, Had I been a youth pastor, I kind of feel like it would have been just uh, all bets are off. I would have just kind of done whatever just just for the sake of having some fun with it. So I kind of miss having that freedom to just go all in and experiment creatively with what does an what does an online or a virtual student ministry look like? That would have been really fun to experiment with. I mean, from the worship world, I would say the same thing. I would love to have gotten lost in the musician side of like making the, you know, the the song videos of multiple people playing and just like losing myself in the recording process and all that would would be pretty fun. Would you make the, the one thousandth version of blessing for, for it's like every probably every church, every city, every state made their version of the blessing. Yeah, which is a which is a dope I probably song. Would have part, I would have participated in the one we had for here. sure. And, oh, oh yeah, was, I saw blessing a with an instrumental interlude this week with the Star Wars theme in it. Like that touched my <laughs> that soul was, on multiple <laughs> levels. Yeah. I will say the, the the Jewish one in Israel, like the one not. The it's not Jewish, but like the one where it's all in Hebrew, I was like, yeah. that's kind of dope. <laughs> Anyways, Jeff, what, what do you got? Um, I think for me, you know, because I, so at the start of COVID, it was me going, dude, I get to, I get to leave with like, uh, like all kind of like what Tim said, all bets are off and I get to do whatever. And I think, and, and again, there's, there's probably lots of different factors in this, but I look at it and go, 
a lot of the things that we tried, though I, I, I can sit back and look at it and say, I'm proud of the product that we made. I don't think that it landed with our students. The, the two things that landed with our students were life groups, and even that was like, mm, and then service opportunities within our community, which is what I would say I'm most proud of, of our church is that we, we kept our doors open by being an essential service where things were dropped off and we were providing and helping to care for our community. And so our, our students were able to come in and serve. So, so for me, it wasn't, it wasn't the sexy online stuff. It wasn't the overproduced things. And, and again, like I step back and look at what we did and say, I'm, I'm proud of our product. And yet, it, I mean, it was just, a, it felt like a free fall for six months. So for me to almost feel the relief and release of just going like, I don't have to solve this for students coming up in this in this this future generation and, and to say it's the, the answer's out there and i've got to like and if and if somebody were to tell me that i was going to be the one climbing that hill i'd do it but to go i don't have to solve it and i don't th- i i honestly don't think that people have uh you know the the talk shows are are sexy and the instagram live stuff is fun but uh i think the people who are doing it love making it and i don't i haven't heard of many and again I, I could be in overexposed Southern California, but I haven't heard of a lot of students going, man, I can't wait for this thing to go live. And, and, and again, that I, could be putting a lot of different people on blast as far as what they're doing. And I'm not saying that the, what they're producing isn't good. I'm saying nothing has captured the head and the hearts of students other than just saying, I wrote you a note. I dropped by your house. And so it almost feels like 1990s youth ministry again, where you're like, I don't have a pager. I like, I'm just going to, I'm going to swing by your house and I'm going to drop off a pizza. And, and like, that's probably the best ministry that we did in the last six months was we did paper, rock, scissors and paper, rock, scissors, pizza. I love it. Jeff, I think you just, I think you, and I'm writing a book on that. So that's mine. (laughs) You get that. I think we talked about this last episode, the episode before that, where we just talked about like, I think what COVID has exposed us is really big churches are doing really great productions. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think if you could do it well, do it well. The cringiest thing is if you're not doing it well and you're trying to do a big production, then it just feels very awkward. But the thing that COVID exposes is that ultimately people are hungry for like personal interaction to being pastor, to having those relationships. And it's, it's, it's those touch points that have way more collateral and equity in our relationship with our people than having a really well-produced like service online or something. I mean, we talk about, um, I think it was last episode, Jeff was talking about like all the hours he put in on, you know, getting ethernet cables to go outside to do these outside services. And I've talked about, you know, all the all the elements of making a production and putting thousands of dollars in multicam things, but as that's a great product, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with any of that stuff. But what our people want is that relationship. And I think sometimes our people misconstrue the relationship with we have to be in the church, but ultimately yes. what they want is that connection with other people because we were never meant to be created in isolation, and. Um, and I think that's remember ex- on the fr- exposed that. Oh, go ahead. You remember on the front end, everybody's like, we're together and apart, and we were selling it as hard as we could. I, I feel like right now, people, at least a lot of them, are finally getting, yo, that's not together. At least that's what my hope is. And I think that the struggle that I feel, and I think this translates across all ministries, um, student all the way up, you know, to senior citizens ministry, is right now we don't have the strength of the platform, and we're having to do the thing we were originally called to do, anyways, and that's pastor people, and that's just by nature harder 
I mean, I personally would rather hook up a cam link to a nice camera and put some good lighting on and say my little stories. But like writing cards and getting in people's world is a lot harder. And I think to me, that's where we all have that commonality right now. And we actually have a, we can actually speak to each other now. Whereas used to, if I was in the youth world, I was only in my little culture and pastor world was in their little culture. I see right now, like we're all feeling kind of like we're in it together in the sense that none of our platforms are shining. The only thing we do is be a pastor. Yeah. I know, I know Justin Knowles over on the DYM blog just puts an article about how like online youth ministry is not going to like effectively reach the needs of our students. And I think that can translate very easily by changing a couple words with the rest of the people of our church. You know what I'm saying? Like as much as like we can great, create great chat prompts in our church online platform. We can have really cool hosts for our Facebook, all the things we want to do. Right. Uh, ultimately it's like the relationships is what our people need. And, um, and okay, that's good. But if that's true, then why is it that that's still the thing that we're bragging about? Ooh. Like and, and, out of the same mouth of, you know, and, and right. I love Justin Knowles. He's a great friend, but out of the same <laughs> mouth, like, the, the thing that I see come out of their ministry is, man, just film so many things yep. and it's awesome yep. and can't wait for you to see this. Mm-hmm. And yet we all sit here and say like, so we as a, we as a nation, we as big C church need to get away from then cheering these things on because they're not the thing, like all five of us have just said that that's not working. And yet that's still what we're, that's still what we're yelling. Well, and I would say for me, it's still what I'm so easily tempted to just like, spend hours thinking about like, how am I going to hook up the camera and where am I going to, and who's going to run it? And what's the, ah, and I get all anxious about it. And it's like, I could have written five notes to people. And I I mean, a a question I asked myself as a worship pastor, when it came to picking songs was like, you know, if like in 10 years, what are people going to remember from the, like the lyrics? I, I think it's a good question pastorally to ask right now, like in 10 years from now, when hopefully things are back to normal, like what will people remember about what our church did during COVID? They're not going to remember that we had three cameras. I mean, <laughs> I probably will, but most, <laughs> well, most and of frankly, my I also feel like we can sit here. It's easy to brag about our production because then it doesn't necessarily point straight at us. But if I'm taking a picture of me writing a note to somebody, then I look like a total douchebag. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so it's like, so I can't be loud about the things that I'm going to be. And I want, but I'm afraid that somebody is going to forget about me. Yeah. Oh, look at that. I think uh, to kind of close this conversation, I think to, not that I feel like I have to defend Justin. We all, we're all, no, we all, and, we and all again, love him. He's a great guy. Just great to be guy. clear, just to be clear, I love Justin. This is not, Justin became the scapegoat for an example that I see <laughs> across, across the nation. I, I, for sure. And I, and I think we talked about this last week. Andy Stanley did the really bold thing of saying, we're not having in-person services. But they're reinvesting some of the funds to do community outreach, right? And like a church as big as North Point has the opportunity to do amazing production while simultaneously doing amazing in-person personal pastoral touches, right? And to an extent, I think Justin at his church can probably do both, right? They can have an amazing production and have like those 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 personal context, which I think he's aware of in terms of like great production, personal contact. I think – 
if if it's true that majority of churches in America are less than 100 people and if majority of churches in America don't have the funds to do multicam stuff and things like that, where are we investing our time and energy? Probably should not be in the production side of things, but more on actually pastoring our people because it's very easy to flex the production. It's it's much more difficult to do the, the hard work of – Going to people's houses who, A, believe in conspiracy theories, who, B, are mad at protesters, who, C, watch <laughs> the protest, who, D, wants you to believe these conspiracy Like, there's so many – it's way more messier to be in the lives of people pastoring than it is to say, okay, if I spend $1,000, I can upgrade my camera and get some good lighting. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's a way easier conversation than it is but to – But I don't, um, don't want to downplay the preaching of the word and, and, for sure. and singing together like – we as a church, we did not have an online presence before March of 2020. And the overwhelming response I've heard from my people, my church of 200, 250 is thank you so much for yeah. allowing me to continue to worship with my church family online. There's There's been a huge outpouring of thankfulness for that. And it's because I went to the elders and said, can I have $1,200 to buy another camera and some lights so we can take this thing online? And so, yes, we still need the physical touches, but there was also a, a big benefit in being able to go online for a lot of my people who still are not comfortable coming back to church yet. I just collectively I, I, moved us online. Right. Yeah. I think there's, I think there's always going to be like a minimum bar of kind of excellence, right. but I think the danger for me at least is when I allow myself to kind of go down the rabbit hole of taking it too far and using it as an escape to actually pastor people. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you just escape into like, well, if I get this resolution, then more engagement. And it's like actually the most 100% guaranteed engagement you can get with 90% of my congregation is a phone call. Mm-hmm. They're Fair. 100% engaged in that conversation. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, but that doesn't make me feel better about my cool self and my church's Facebook page. Well, and and I think that we have a responsibility in whatever voice we have, whether it's a guesting on a podcast, or if you have a podcast or a leader in your church, we can't make that the collective North star. If we all sit here and say that, yeah, we, we got to get back to basics and this and that, then that needs to be the thing that we celebrate. I, Tim, I Mm -hmm. totally agree with you. Our online presence is better than it's ever been. And we're able to reach out to more people. And so praise God that you, that like we were forced in that way. Sure. But if that becomes the thing that we celebrate, that then becomes the thing that everyone else then tries to become too. Yeah. So then let's yeah. become people who love people. Right. Yeah. Amen. Guys, wow. We started this show hot and I love it. And it's a, good, it's a great <laughs> conversation. Man, Delmar clipped this part because this was this is worth uh, – Worth, worth, worth discussing. Hey, let's oh, keep yeah. the show along. We're going to some clergy cliff notes. Um, hey, Delmar, you have a good one. Let's let's hear what you have to say. I think it's good. Um, so this one is like such the product of our culture, guys. So really quick, just I was thinking about how we open this one up. But real, what is your favorite superhero? Like, what's your favorite superhero? I mean, I think I think. Um, the world of Spider-Man. So like the different variations of Spider-Man. The I multiverse of Spider-Man? Yeah, like I love Miles Morales. I love Peter Parker. I love, you know, all the variations of that kind of character because anything that makes like a human superhero is is dope for me. Truth. Power and responsibility. I agree with Frank. Yep. Yeah, no, I was, a, I was a Spider-Man guy for the longest time uh, until Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, Star-Lord came around and just kind of had that, that vibe of just kind of laid back I'm going to listen to my tunes and I'm going to help out where I can. I kind of, I kind of dig that vibe too. I, mean, you, I, I, 
I'd throw my hat in with Spider-Man too. I mean, <laughs> y'all he's all the, Spider-Man he's the, men. He's the perfect super. Let me guess, yours is Leonardo or something, right? <laughs> Which turtle? Which turtle? You you <laughs> suck because that was actually the one. I, hold up. In all fairness, I grew up. It was Raphael, and then I grew up and became a man. All right. No, but <laughs> no, okay. it's Donatello. <laughs> no, no, it's it's Leonardo. It really is. So, so. But Frank, it makes me feel good that you know me like that, you know. (laughs) But uh, seriously, I guess the point I was getting at um, is the thing that makes a good superhero good is the same thing that we see in translating into pastorate now and even leadership in general. It's the it's it is the strength, but it's the backstory and it's the weakness. Like as even you were talking about the multiverse, I'm thinking every single version of Spider-Man has like a very wounded past. Mm-hmm. Star-Lord's mother got cancer given to him by his father, and then he had to murder his father. Isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> you know, and then uh, Leonardo, there's a whole new backstory to that. You don't want me to get into that. I promise you. I should start a whole other <laughs> podcast, but it's the same thing. It's it's like it's like woundedness. And I think what the way you could summarize it up is, is transparency in the, in who they are. And Kerry Newhoff actually had an article he just released and he was talking about where's the line between us being transparent as leaders versus bleeding over into oversharing. Because I know that all of us, and maybe I think all of us to some extent are guilty of it. We've had moments where we're, we're trying to be transparent. Maybe there's something coming down the pipe and you're trying to think through it out loud. And, and maybe you just accidentally overshare and you're like, man, I shouldn't have let that person go there because all it did was create anxiety in them. So I guess, first of all, real talk, transparency. Um, has there ever been a time when maybe you were over transparent and probably overshared a little bit? Do you, anybody have a, a moment you like to talk about? I mean, last year I went through a major transition at my church, obviously. And at at the beginning stages, I didn't really have a good outlet for it. So I, (laughs) during the first few weeks, I I used the morning after ministry show to kind of just unload a little bit, which is a very dangerous space to do that on a public Facebook show where your entire church can watch and then go back and rewatch and listen to on a podcast. And you know, I got some I got some really good critique from my elders on, hey, we understand you wanting to be transparent and you fleshing out some of these feelings you're going through. But it's possible that a social setting like that is not the best way to do that. I know um, I uh, I I remember one time I was preaching a sermon um, and I talked about um, growing up which is not something that's like very private for me. But my father was very abusive. He was an alcoholic and he used to like hit my mom. And I remember one aspect, I was sharing this in the story. I was like, my dad um, uh, was like about to hit my mom or something. And I was like 12. So I was like a pretty big kid. And I got in my dad's face and I was like, you're never going to hit him again. Like that was like a big, like I was going to use it as like kind of a climactic part of my sermon. I forgot kind of what the whole context of the sermon was. But um, I remember in sermon critique about my sermon, one thing, obviously I'm I'm Cuban, I'm very passionate. And sometimes my my passionateness in my sermon, it comes off as like emotional, I guess. And so someone said like, hey, have you completely processed like what you went through because there's a there's a line of being transparent and then like like bleeding in the pulpit and if you haven't been able to process kind of the wounds and the pains you've gone through in your personal life it's probably not the place to, to process that in the pulpit because you may have you may like rip open wounds in other people 
who are still in the midst of that. And I remember hearing that, and I actually chose not to talk about that moment, not because I haven't processed it, but I just wanted to make sure I truly have processed it before I say it in, in, front, of, in front of a bunch of people. Um, but I've always kind of thought about that. It's like, wh- where is the line of transparency? Because I think the, the mark of a good pastor is being able to, to highlight what Scripture says and connect it to real-life issues, especially when it's connected to real-life issues within your own life. But how do you do that in a way that doesn't, I don't know, hurt your reputation? Is that a good word? Or like hurt you, hurt your credibility? I'm not sure like how to, how to word that, but like, I don't know. This is a great, this is a great conversation because I don't know the answer to this question because I'm such a transparent person that like, I, I'm, I, I'm apologizing all the time by how transparent I try to be. And I realize I should probably figure it out. So go ahead. I found that, I mean, I think as a younger senior pastor, you can undermine your own leadership um, without intending to, uh, by doing this. Cause you can, it, it, you can almost, uh, put your own immaturity on display, uh, whether that be emotional unhealth or just, I mean, you know, we're, I'm 35, so I haven't lived as long as most of the members of my church and they've experienced things that I haven't experienced yet. And so I think for me, it, for me, if I think of an example, it would be, I have, I know that I have overshared things about the previous ministry I was in and, you know, the kind of toxicity of that and the pain that caused and what it comes out as as bitterness that's unresolved in me, um, which there probably still is some bitterness unresolved in me. And so that's where I tend to um, I sort of display an immaturity when it comes to my own bitterness that then it's hard to lead people out of their own bitterness, you know, so that's where it's tricky. And I also think for me, um, one of my, you know, one of the big insecurities I deal with is people pleasing. And so I can tend to overshare as a way to people please, like to connect with somebody and almost, yeah, like almost pull them into my own pain or whatever. And, you know, and I've, I know that in the past I have probably not lied, but fudged how hard something was or how bad something was so that they would relate to me more easily. And that's part of that people pleasing thing. So I think you got to be careful of that. Um, but like you said, I mean, when, I think when weakness just happens in front of people that, you know, that's okay. You know, I shared with you guys a few weeks back, I made like a big mistake on online service where I didn't edit something out and it just broadcast as you know, we did, we're doing virtual live and I missed a couple edits in a sermon and like people in the <laughs> chat, people in the chat and later on told me like, wow, I relate to you so much more knowing that you're not actually like, you know, that you're not perfect when you deliver these sermons online or whatever. So I think those are okay because it just happened. I didn't like manufacture that. I didn't try to, but I think where it gets dangerous and oversharing is when you start to get into the territory for me of displaying an immaturity in some way or trying to pull people into your insecurities like people-pleasing. Oh, I'll go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I, I think heading into it, just recognizing that at, at our at our best on a healthy day, all of us kind of have some desire to be rock stars and songwriters. Mm-hmm. And so we all have a little bit of Taylor Swift in us where we're going to Anything that we're going to use for our own content is typically going to be something pulled from our own experience. So recognizing that and also that even if it's that we're not oversharing about ourselves, but other people like I've gotten to a point where I now have to clear all stories through my kids because they're 10, 12 and 14. So like uh, my life cannot be a sermon illustration for all the world to see. 
And and then I think the other part is recognizing, like knowing the power of of how and if and when we communicate. Because on social media, once it's out there, we can't control the narrative, and people aren't necessarily going to read what we're sharing. Like in, in a sermon, it's one thing because you're able to hear voice inflection, and I'm able to control that. Even if it's rewatched, it may be it may be oversharing, but at least I'm able to control that. Whereas if I go and put something on, on a post or I respond, or even if I like something, then all of a sudden people are able to interpret that in a totally different way. We had, um, as in this, as, as all of us as a nation have kind of stepped into this conversation of racism and, and black Lives matters and, and all those sorts of things. I was in an attempt to show love for somebody who was, pretty aggressively against not only the white evangelical church, but, but our church specifically, I was trying to, through social media to show, Hey, I don't agree with you, but I still love you. Somebody screenshotted that and sent it to my senior pastor. And so like, I've, I've come to that place of going, Oh, actually like how much is, how transparent can I be? Not, not very. And I think the other thing that I've seen, and I was in fact talking with my wife about it this last week of, I find it interesting that as soon as people who are in church ministry leave, they all of a sudden become very verbal about um, anything from face masks to presidential campaigns to if Black Lives Matter to um, COVID and, and conspiracy theories. So, you know, I'm not saying that they, they leave the church and then all go to one side, but it's that all of a sudden we, it's just interesting that actually as, as pastors and as people on church, I actually think we're keeping a lot of things in and under that we can't say. And as soon as you leave the church, I'm seeing all of my friends that have just left the church for lots of different reasons in the last few years, have some very strong opinions that they didn't share a year ago. And you're like, Oh, okay. So, so the church was actually giving you a bit of a, of a lid that, that maybe we all want to keep on that. So as pastors, should we err on the side of not sharing enough or should we err on the side of oversharing? I think I've gone back and forth on this. I, I probably still err on the sh- on the side of oversharing at times for my personal life, not necessarily every little thing I believe. So Tim, l- let me ask you this. Let me ask it to you this way. Yeah. You have kids of different ages, right? How old's your oldest kid and your youngest kid? Uh, ages 10 down to three, five kids. Okay. So you will, there are things you will talk to your 10 year old about that you will not talk to your three year old about. And yep. if they're in the room together, you're going to default to the three-year-old pretty much, right? Absolutely. So I think that's a good way to think about, like, we have to default to what the least mature, you know, factor is, on, especially word. on social media, man. Like, it's yeah. just, it's it's a breeding, it's not a breeding ground for eloquent speech and mature thought. You know, it's, it's, it's literally designed for outrage because that's I disagree what with that. <laughs> no, not at all. Not that at was all. him on social media. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that okay, was me okay. on social media. Yeah. I was, I was, mm. yeah. So I think, I mean, there's stuff that I don't, I talk to my wife about that we don't talk about in front of our five-year-old, you know, cause she can't handle that decision. I think that's what oversharing is to me is like, there's a sense in which the, the seat we sit in as pastors is almost like team dad, so to speak. Like we, we, we're overseers of this group of people who we're also a part of, but the role we play is the role of like a father in a family. We protect, we oversee, we provide. And there's things that we don't talk about in front of the kids. There's arguments my wife and I don't have in front of our daughter because she can't handle that anxiety and that she's not emotionally mature enough to deal with that. And I just think that's, that's one way to think about it. You know, if you have multiple kids, 10 and three, you default to the three-year-olds level when they're all in the room together. And on social media, you should just assume they're all in the room together. 
I think you know. I think that's super wise because yet yeah, you you can't control the audience of who's going to see things. Right. And just because something's true does not mean that it needs to be said. There's a lot of things uh, in my life. I think my, my wife and I have a, a wonderful relationship that is beautiful and loving and intimate, and nobody needs to know about that. And so, like, but I think unfortunately we get to a place where we want to try and connect. Uh, our our profession is connecting with people. And, and so because we connect with people, like we find the things that connect well. And so you're like, oh, if that was good, then just wait for this story or this truth or this thing in my life. And I think that we have to be careful. And again, I've done that probably as much as anybody else. So it's not saying like, you know, Tim, is you saying I probably overshare. I do too. But I think especially in this last six month season and stepping into now more adult ministry, though, I would say in the last couple of years, I've probably done more parent ministry and family ministry than actual youth ministry. I'm just going like, for the sake of connecting, I can't go and lay those things on the altar. Mm. I think to me, oversharing, it can like progress in our lives. Like for me, oversharing used to be me being passive aggressive. Oh, like yeah. the, right. the worst, I'm about to admit something to y'all, this is absolutely freaking embarrassing, but the worst overshare I ever did was in one of those large youth pastor groups and uh, I came to this church and they said that um, they would only purchase PCs and wouldn't purchase Macs. And I don't even know how to use a PC anymore. Um, so I, one day I was in the sanctuary just hanging out and I looked up in the tech deck and realized every computer in the tech deck was Mac. And I just recorded. I was like, our church only purchases PCs. And I just, you know, and uh, they were up there. And I just posted the video super passive aggressively. Somebody went into the youth pastor group, screenshotted the picture, went to our church website, looked up our senior pastor and said, your head student guy is putting your whole church on blast. And uh, and then I'm getting a call on a Saturday from the senior pastor, which in my church, if you get a call on a Saturday, like that's bad. And, and I, so for me, that's when I first started realizing Emotional intelligence is so vital when it comes to like oversharing. You have to be keyed in on how you feel and you have to be keyed in on how other people are seeing you. And but so so I, w- I got away from that and then it moved into like, OK, I'm not going to do it passive aggressively, but now I may overshare out of basically it's the old school. Here's a prayer request, except now, except now it's more like I'm confiding in you. Um, and, and I've learned there's like for me. I have to have, I don't know if you would call them, but some barriers set up in my own life, you know, to make sure that I don't overshare. Like, I'll, I'll just level with you, like this pastor group of us meeting, it's, it's a great barrier for me, you know, because sometimes we get on the chat a little earlier before we start recording. And man, that's that's healthy for me um, because a transition for me, and I know a few of y'all have transitioned and stayed in the same church. You know, when you transition and stay in the same church that um, the people who you used to could confide in, now that you're in a different space in leadership, it hurts them to let to pull you into that space. And I, I've had to learn, like, there are people who are my best friends on staff, and I love them. But right now, loving them well means not filling them in on everything I know. And that's been really hard because it almost can feel like, are we not friends anymore? But it's not that at all. It's I'm, I'm trying to figure out where transparency and oversharing is. I don't know how you are. A lot of times I hate it about myself. I wear my feelings on my sleeve sometimes. I can't get in an argument with you. Dude, I wear them on the my room. face. Yeah, that's, like, that's what I'm saying. I can't get in an argument with you. And then we walk out this room and like do church. 
I yeah. wish I could. So like I'm having to figure out where do I take that in a healthy place. And I don't know if you guys have any barriers that you've set up to kind of help you mitigate that, but uh, I'd love to hear any anything y'all have done. Delmar, I really like that you said that you've had this shift in your church and your role responsibilities. Now there's people that you used to confide in that you no longer can, because that's that's literally right where I am. I had this conversation with my wife just, I mean, probably two months ago that I felt like some of the, the best friends I had at my church are no longer my, my best friends at my church. And it's, it's not because we're any less friendly. It's just because I don't feel like it's a safe place or it's healthy for them to, you know, confide with them. Cause there, there was, you know, quite a few people who were walking with me along, you know, alongside this uh, transition into the, the senior pastoral role that I find myself in who I needed to talk to. And now I find myself, you know, not wanting to, to go down that road with them anymore. So it's a good discussion for us. I mean, I think it is so easy to just for us to bleed over into an unhealthy manipulation of people um, by, you know, the, what's, what we're talking about is oversharing. But like I said, where you start to, you know, I'm sharing things with you to get you to feel a certain way about either a decision or another person, you know, and you, you, I mean, I just think that's like tool in the hand of Satan to divide the church if you're not careful. So I think a barrier is you got to have some kind of healthy outside. I have a pastor friend who I can text like with no filters and we text each other once in a while and laugh about stuff. Um, and he was a guy that discipled me as a, a high school, college kid. And so, you know, I've, I, I have a long history with him and I can ask him questions without feeling like, you know, I think you need to be able to have somebody that you can ask questions where there's no consequences for you asking the question. And I think the hard part in that is that when you're shifting roles and you stay in your church, you know, it's one thing when you go from church to church, because then all of a sudden you kind of build a new friend group. But when you are evolving in that relationship, it's tough. And I think that that's why anytime you see somebody talk about like a healthy life, it's that they have those people almost intentionally outside of their church, because they know that no matter what your role in that church is, it's going to change. So I think you have to have those and coming from a guy who doesn't have those. So it's me beginning to recognize the fact then I'm going to have to establish some of those. And now my people group is changing because I've, I've had years of people that I can sit and commiserate about student ministries, but I need to find cool life group pastors to talk with. <laughs> and I don't know any of those. So, Hey, I, I have a friend who went from um, youth ministry to executive pastor and they were like, the executive pastor community is the most boring community ever. <laughs> so, so I can only imagine the life group pastor community is like, Besides being a small niche, it's probably a special. So far, I've been riveted. <laughs> Great. Hey, uh, uh, we have another clergy cliff note. Timothy, what do you got for us? So I'm just coming off a uh, vacation, and I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, pastors, ministry leaders taking vacation. What does that look like? So never. I think, I think never. Oh, never. Wrong. So that was the right so answer. Sorry. I think Delmar, you're going today. Frank, you're vacationing next week. Andrew is still on vacation right now. So I thought it'd be fun, not only in this episode, but if we hit this uh, for a couple of episodes, we can. We have a diff couple of different ways we could take this for pastors on vacation. Uh, but one thing I came across this morning as I was researching this topic was this article in the Gospel Coalition. And uh, the title was um, the benefits for visiting a church on vacation. And as in I just, you should. just as in you should. And then a whole list of reasons as to why you should. So I have a little I mean, confession. That's a lot of work. I, I have not attended <laughs> a church on vacation before. Um, not that I'm just against it. It's just, 
I finally get a chance to breathe a little bit away from that environment with my family. So that's kind of the way. So do you guys attend church on vacation occasionally? <laughs> this article gives me anxiety, man. Dude, I'm yeah, not, <laughs> this is too much work. I'm not like, do, I'm like, not doing this amount of research for like, it's church. like go on the church's website, oh, look at their statement of faith. Heidi Carlson wrote it. I mean, okay. I mean, so then where does it, she work? It, what church does she work at that she's at? at their services 50 weeks out of the year and then going to other churches. That's what uh, I she's want. She's obviously an executive pastor. That's kind <laughs> of <laughs> <laughs> No, but I don't know, man, because I am t- – here's a, here's a hard part for me, and, and maybe I'm the only one guilty of it, but when I go to church on vacation – Oh, this is gonna sound bad. It's really hard for me to switch the switch off, man. Because I'm yeah. I'm looking at their font on the overhead. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at how I got greeted when I came in. Oh my gosh, they have papyrus and comic sans. Like I don't even know where to put that in my soul, you know. So like I think there's value in going, but when it becomes now the chore of vacation in my world, I'm not vacationing anymore. Right. I hate. I'm, it's not that I'm checking out of God, um, but it's just such plugged into my work. The, the only times I've ever gone to church on vacation. And, and, and like, so a lot of times when I go on vacation, I go to Florida and um, and uh, I'm going to my in-laws church, which is a very, very, like the largest Southern Baptist church in Tampa. And and it's like, there's a lot of friends there. And I, and I already know going into it, like I have a couple issues with it because like, it's a very traditional worship style, but the preacher actually is like that old school, like, oh man, he's pretty good for being 90 type of thing. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, there's a lot of things there where it's like, I just have to deal with it because it's my family's church kind of thing. But the only time I would really go to church on vacation, I definitely won't do any of this stuff. Um, but like I would, um. I go to churches like that, like I follow the church online, like the Village Church in Dallas or, um, you know, I, when I went to Southern California, I had to see what the 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 Disney World over Jesus of Saddleback is like. Right. I wanted I wanted to see what this this monolithic building is with uh, Lauren Dangle as a guest worship leader was like. I, got, <laughs> I had to I had to see all that. Right. And so when I go to those experiences, what's interesting is I don't go there with my my. Frank, I'm a pastor hat. I go there genuinely as like, I respect the pastor or I respect the situation. And like, I, I just want to enjoy the moment. I'll steal a couple bulletins to like read later, but like, that's the extent of it. I find I have a personal issue when I'm visiting a church service that's not my church. And it's not like a church I know anything about or anything like that. I, I, I struggle constantly either comparing myself or fighting mm-hmm. the issues to make it better, right? So like what you said, Delmar, the font choices, the way the pastor chose to use a certain illustration, not another illustration. Like it, There's so much in me where I'm fighting in myself not to critique that like I don't even end up enjoying the service where like if I know if I'm going to see Matt Chandler, I'm going to I'm gonna enjoy this talk. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to – that's just the vibe I'm, I'm getting. And like when I went to Philadelphia, I wanted to see Eric Mason's church. When I went to um, – uh, against Southern California, I wanted to go see what Mariners was all about. Like, I, I there were certain aspects I knew I was going to enjoy, and so I kind of put my pastor head off and just be like, I'm a follower of Christ, visiting a church with some fellow believers. This is going to be fun. Um, that's the tension I live in, and so the last thing I want to do on vacation is critique other pastors just doing their best, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's like, I don't want to do that. Yep. The last time I went on vacation and uh went to a church, it was a big church that all of y'all know, and uh. 
Say they're it. passing. They're Say passing, the name. It was kidding. Church of the Highlands. All right, there we go. There we go. I was there. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, it was at the movies, and you know, it was on our honeymoon or, or something like that. Anyways, we decided we're going to go to church this Sunday, and they don't take up the offering till the end. Okay, so they pass the whole offering. It's a bucket at this church, and my wife and I were kind of on one of the back rows at the end. They the bucket ends at her, and she's just standing there with like five grand of like cash and bills and coins. And I'm like, did Church of the Highlands just fund our vacation? Because like there was no usher to take it up, and then everyone was just leaving. And I just remember thinking. This is way too much responsibility for vacation. Now we're managing <laughs> another church's money. So like, <laughs> I, you know, and I think for me, that was just kind of like, yeah, I, I enjoy doing that. But in my, I just didn't want to be in that position again to where it's like now I'm critiquing their offering, kind of like what Frank said. And maybe that speaks more about me as a leader needing to, to, dis- to disconnect. And that probably is being like, yeah, I'm not disconnecting as much as I should be. Um you know, if I'm being, because, because I did one time I went, I uh, went out to California and I did go to church of the Mariners and I was so far removed from that culture. It was easier for me to do it. But when That's it's on one, this yeah. side of the Mason Dixon line, Oh, I'm, I'm in that culture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So two things. One, first off, Heidi Carlson is a travel blogger who I'm sure is very intelligent and a phenomenal person, but because of who she's married to in her life, she doesn't have to go to church every week. So Quit telling me to go to church when I'm on vacation, Heidi. That's the first thing. I like this guy. And then second, and here, here's my here's my flex, is when I was in London, I had to go to Hillsong. Hillsong. So that that is the only time that I've ever gone to church while on vacation. I think it changed some somewhat in, in uh, Dell and Tim. You, you can probably relate to this, and Jeff, too. I assume you have kids, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. So it changed for me when I – when we adopted our daughter and I had a, you know, we have a kid now. Well, and when we started fostering and and all that, but like before that, I actually, the, the churches I've enjoyed going to on vacation the most, and we never made like a rule or anything about it. Just like, if we wanted to, we wanted to, uh, I actually have enjoyed going to church plants on vacation because I am able to like, I go in there with this mindset of like, man, I want to see what they're doing and like be happy for them and cheer for them. And like, and it's usually pretty simple. And so there isn't like a bunch of production to even critique and stuff. And it's like exciting to be in that environment of like, man, this new church, this is cool. We went to a really cool church. I think it was called Alethea and it was in Gainesville and uh, it was super cool. It was an Acts 29 plant. We went there and we like could barely find the building in the park. It was like kind of like fun and exciting. So that's what we've done before. But since I've had kids, nah, man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to sleep in with and hang out with them and have breakfast at the hotel or whatever. I do so. think I do think Jeff, it's funny you brought that up because last time I was in Tampa, I was pleading with my my in-laws to not go to their church. Again, no problem with their big stuff. I know Tim knows exactly the church I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. There's no oh, yeah. problem with the church, but um <laughs> but it was just like I actually want to do what you did. I looked up I went to the Acts 29 website. I'm like, what's a good church plan I could support? Because even if I just go there and like give an offering that day, like that's yeah. gonna mean so yeah. much to that church plant to have another person in the crowd. And and like what you said, like, there's no pretense. There's no like, like it's going to be a hot gym or it's going to be, the sound's going to be weird. Like it's a church plant. And I mean, I just felt convicted by that. Cause I was like, I'd rather support a church plant 
yeah. than like a very you know historic established church. It's it's going to be fine for decades, right? <laughs> like this church plant might not and be even just year. go even if you just go up like if you do that, pastors listening, go up and like talk to the pastor after and shake oh. his hand. Like he's going to be so encouraged, like. You know, and, and you could say, "Hey, I'm a pastor. I'm on vacation." And do it after church the sermon. Online. Yeah, don't. Yeah, do it after the sermon, preferably. <laughs> and no, right before he goes up, hey, I'm here to critique you. Right before he walks up. <laughs> and, and here's yes. my commentary. I'm and ready. I have my Greek Bible with me. <laughs> um, but anyway, no, big, guys, no, you, that is that, very. He's been so encouraged. The pastors have been so encouraged by that today. Not, they have a that, visitor. I got to be honest, I've never thought of it from that perspective. And again, I think it's going to be, we're going to be hard pressed on our family vacations to do that. But if I was ever inclined, it would almost be to be an encouragement Mm -hmm. to those wherever I'm at that I get to afterwards go, man, I'm, I'm, I just wanted you to know I came and I visited and here's how you bless me. And here's what you guys are doing. Great. Man, you just redeemed, you just redeemed this whole article for me. (laughs) So we, I'll say, I'll, I'll say this though. If you do visit a church plant, do what everyone just said here. Be encouraging. Tell them that you're a pastor. But do Tithe. not do not tell them what they did wrong. Do not you go storm in out in like, the middle. Do not do not be like, hey, love the service. Here's what you should fix. Give them, no, that's not. Well, just you put that on the comment card. Yeah, put if you're going card. to a, if you're going to any church and you're willing to tell them, you just stay. Just don't go. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. If your hey, heart can't be you there, you need yet. to sleep more. Great conversation. Let's keep the show going. We're going to enter into the time of our main discussion. I think this is going to be a good one. Um, you know, we're now main? now our main. Yeah, I know for real. We've had so many. We've gone so far in this this this, this conversation. But um, we're going to talk about things we wish we knew when we first started. Uh, what are the things that when you first started in ministry, especially now, like for most of us, I think for most of us, um, when you started in ministry, like me, I was like, I'm a youth ministry lifer. When I get old, I'm going to just write books about youth ministry. If it worked for Doug Fields, it'll work for me. Like I'm not going to ever leave youth ministry. And then lo and behold, about a decade later, I'm like in an office with an exegetical commentary thinking about how I'm going to preach a sermon to adults, right? Like things change. What are the things you wish you did years ago when you first started in ministry that you wish you could do differently now to help either prepare you for what you're doing now or maybe avoid some of the stumbling blocks or the pitfalls that you felt along the way in this journey? I wish I would have sat down with more senior pastors. Just to be honest, I spent a lot of my tenure in student ministry networking with student pastors, and I have zero regrets, but I should have carved out more time. Because during this whole, you know, without me stepping into this new role and the world falling apart, um, uh, over the last couple of months, I've been reaching out to my local senior pastors. And the first time I was going to a meeting with one of them, I had to snap out of I'm a youth pastor because I was in front of him. And emotionally, I was like, he's a senior pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And I had to remind myself, no, like I have a congregation. And I just realized, man, I wish that I would have been courageous enough maybe or vulnerable enough to sit in front of a senior pastor and say, hey, listen, I don't know what, what the future holds, but I think I can learn from you. Um, I wish I'd have sat in front of more senior pastors. I thought you were going to say, but I know who holds the future. I would have been <laughs> oh, you worship leaders. Come yeah. on, man. <laughs> I just, uh, I wanted to know who number two works for. That's what I wanted to know. Hey, who does number two, number two work for? Thank you, Tim. Thank you. <laughs> uh, You're welcome. Well, to quote the uh, the great Hamilton, talk less, smile more is good nice. advice. That was for you, Tim. Saw it. Enjoyed it. 
Uh, I would say, yeah, for me, it was, I would change it and say, uh, you can teach less and smile more, meaning you don't have to feel, and maybe it was a way I was dealing with insecurities, but like, you don't have to feel like you need to be the expert on everything and like burn yourself out trying to be the expert on every little theological nuance of everything. You can just listen to people. And, you know, pray with them and you don't have to feel like, yes, you are the, you know, I I am the lead pastor of this church. I am the primary Bible teacher of this congregation of 40, 50 people. But that doesn't mean that every moment I'm interacting with people has to be teaching. Um, A lot of it can just be living life together and, you know, and learning from them too. Like learning from some of the older saints, you, you know, Dell, you said you wish you would have spent more time with uh, senior pastors. I wish I would have spent more time with seniors in my church, yeah, like that's good. senior citizens in my church, just like listening to them and sitting with them and talking with them. Um, and from a strategic leadership standpoint, yes, it does get, it does accumulate you leadership chips, but it also is a way to just learn. And I think, you know, going into ministry, feeling like, you know, I, I have to learn from only from books and from conferences and from, you know, smart teachers, which is, good things to learn from. But I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in the older folks in your church. If you'll slow down and listen to them, Jeff, you are just killing it with the wordplay. I mean, you just like, I mean, you just like, gotcha, switch it up. I'm a pastor. Like you're just destroying it today. Hey, um, to, I, I would say, I, you know, I, I, I've always said that, like, I wish I networked sooner. Like I did, I thought I was smart on everybody for the first five years. But as I, as I think more also of like, student ministry it's like when you do something for over a decade like there is some patterns that just become second nature to you it becomes very easy and year over year it's not that youth ministry gets easier but you have enough skills and tools where like it's just kind of second nature you don't have to think about it and therefore you can either become lazy or like Mm. less disciplined and I think I wish I I wish there were I just remember seasons of my of youth ministry where I had like no discipline. Like I could, I could, if I wanted to wait a day before or the day of to work on my message, plan the game, you know, just wing it because I know even at my laziest, it's still, it was, it could still be a good product. It could still be a good service because I just know how to fake it really well. Or I know how to do things where like, I wish I had created more discipline in my week so that way, when I get to where I'm now, where you, there's no winging it as a senior pastor. There's no winging it as like the main person. Like if you're winging it, there's too many people counting on you that is going to be hurt and and at a disadvantage if you just like don't respond to emails until the day they need to hear it. You know what I'm saying? Like, like you you have to have that discipline. And I wish I'd started that sooner, or at least someone convicted me to start it sooner, because um, I think certain tasks would be a little bit less complicated. Because I know the discipline it takes to plan out certain events or certain things that that I was just kind of lazy, you know, and just kind of that's the stereotypes of a youth pastor. They're kind of lazy and they just kind of sit in their office to eat pizza. Like there were seasons where that was true because I knew what I needed to do to make sure the teenagers got what they got and the parents were happy. And I and and then there were seasons where I was convicted by that. And I was like, all right, I got to be a real pastor about this. And now as I'm in this new role, I'm like, there's no room for laziness. Like, there's no room for, for, for that. And if there is, then like, why am I even a pastor? You know? I think for me, it's uh, young Tim needed to probably needed to say, I don't know more often than he did. 
young, young Tim wanted to know everything. So he pretended like he did know everything when he, in fact, still does not know everything. So I think we can't be afraid to say, I don't know. Uh, and then another thing that took me probably four years uh, to understand uh, was the importance of helping those above me or in front of me in leadership, helping them win instead of constantly trying to, to tear them down. How could I how could I build them up? And and oftentimes, how could I protect them? Um, I remember s- being sat down with an elder. It was probably my second year in youth ministry and he was going over receipts with me and he said, Tim, I see here you spent some of the church's money to play golf with students. And I said, yeah, I I did. I I took high schoolers out to play golf at student ministry and he scolded me for probably 20 minutes. And I never saw that, that leader again. And I didn't actually know what happened until two years later when I heard that my senior pastor caught wind of that elder doing that to me behind closed doors without his knowledge and he handled that appropriately and he had my back. And it was from that moment on that I thought, wow, he had my back and then didn't even come and tell me he had my back. He just did it. So what would that look like for us to have our senior leaderships back, even without telling them we have our back? Well, and even now in this role, having your elders backs, exactly. even towards one another or towards other members in the church, like owning decisions that were made, you know, in your mind, we made this decision as a group of elders and I was one of the ones who didn't agree with this decision, but I'm not, I am not going to play the game of, well, I didn't actually agree, but it was an elder decision. So I, no, it's my decision t- and I'm, I'm with it. Yeah. Like you kind of, you sign off and you bought the t-shirt too. Yeah. And you smile while you wear it. And talk less. Yeah. Smile hey. more. Good callback. Yeah. I think uh, <laughs> Frank, I, I uh, identify a lot with you. Like my story is that I I went to National Youth Workers Convention as a as a volunteer intern at my church when I was 18 years old. And like that was it. Like that's all I needed. Like I went there and I found I like I found my home and I found my people. And I think I think two parts. One is that I think that I have operated in my season in youth ministry arrogantly, that I I'd found the best place and that no other ministry could ever compare to that. And though I still have youth ministry and it's still wildly important, and I hope to, in any seat that I sit in, advocate for it, that there is a whole world out there of other things that that need time and attention and are and are as important. And that I could have in my season of youth ministry learned from those people. And again, it was it didn't matter because I was gonna I was I was like you. I, it was just a matter of Doug Field set stepping aside and then they were gonna ask me to take his his role. Like that's that's all like it's just a, I just gotta sign the paperwork, which I don't know how you sign paperwork to then become Doug Fields. But like that's like that's the dream of every little boy youth pastor is to just eventually you're gonna grow up in this thing. And so to get to now be on this side and go, that's not my story. That's okay. Some of that I've had to let go of yeah. and also go, there's a brave world out there. I wonder what I said no to because mm-hmm. I was waiting for that one. Yes. Wow. That's good. Yeah. I have, I have one more. I was, it's kind of came from some woundedness. If I wish I'd have known, um, and I was trying to think of how to word it to you guys. This is the best I got. Uh, I'm not as much of a wordsmith as the poet Jeff Simpson up here, but, uh, it's kind of this one. There. Um, I'll get there. Um, the people who will court you fast, they'll dump you faster. Ooh. 
That's one thing I've learned in ministry. The people who like when you show up on the job and they're like, hey, man, you're the best thing we've ever seen here. We want to like blow you up and be a part of that ministry. We want to lead a life group for you. Like I have learned oftentimes that there is an unstated thing behind that. And the second you they run into that wall of no or even, hey, what does that mean? Um, they dump you and it is public and it is difficult and it is messy. Uh, so I think now when someone comes up and they, they want to court really fast, like obviously, yeah, I want to have that relationship. But at the same time, like I think we owe it to ourselves. That's that trust but verify, you know. So to me, I've had to learn that there are people who I want to love really fast because they seem to love me really fast. But like, it's okay to be guarded a little bit. Well, I think there's people that want to be on the pastor's inner circle because they want to, you know, that's like an identity thing for them. And you have to guard against that because you're not just their pastor. You know, you're everybody's pastor in the whole congregation. And it's hard because when they start to feel those boundaries, sometimes they can, they don't like that. Hey, uh, we have a uh, a question of the day, that, a question of the week that was given to us by James Brune. I believe that's his name, James Brune or Braun. Um, he, he asked us on Instagram, what books would you recommend to a brand new senior pastor or a brand new uh, campus pastor, brand new pastor in general? Um, I believe this guy literally just came into this new role. I think he was in youth ministry and he's now in the senior pastor role. What would you recommend? I'll go first. Um, this book I, I read with um, my now boss. He's like the the guy overall ca- campus pastors at my campus because um, this guy was his senior pastor. I've never heard this book before, um, but Eugene Peterson endorsed it. And that, that's a pretty big name. Eugene Peterson said, this is the freshest and most honest book on pastoral work you'll ever likely to come upon. That's a high praise for Eugene Peterson. It's called The Art of Preaching by David Hansen. Um, pastoring. Yeah, yes. The Art pastoring. of Pastoring. Did I say preaching? The Art of Pastoring, mm-hmm. um, Ministry Without the Answers. And it's like what I love about it is it's, it's, it's a good balance of theological, but also it's insanely practical. It talks about stuff like kind of talked about this when it comes to vulnerability, like what does friendship with your congregation look like as a pastor? What does your calling, like how, like, like how the unique work of being a pastor is both um, your profession and your calling and how like, that's not true with anything else in the world, right? Like if I work at Popeye's, I don't have to think about frying chicken when I get home, but as a pastor, I think about pastoring when I get home. Right. So it, it has all these other conversations about, you know, the, the trappings, the temptations you can face, friendships, relationships, your personal life, your friendship, um, and just very practical stuff like pastoring people through pain. It is an insanely good book, and it's it's challenging me in, in terms of pastoring in any other book. It's called The Art of Pastoring by David Hansen. I am not – again, uh, August 1st is kind of my start date for uh, practical pastoring and all of those sorts of things. So I, I, I still feel like I'm in a bit of a preparation season. I think that coupled with just the season that the church in America has been in a place of listening and learning. So the things that I've been really trying to do is listen and learn about Love it. where have I either contributed to or been silent. And so the two things that um, have been recommended to me that I've been using, one I've actually been using with my family is, is a devotional book called New Morning Mercies. And it's just 
Like it's just good. And I can set it down for three weeks and pick it up on whatever date. And you're like, dang, that's good. And probably next year, if I picked it up on the same date, it would hit differently because it's just pointing back to scripture. So I've enjoyed this. Like when, when I get to it on whatever date, new morning mercies by, by, it's by Paul David Tripp, right? Right. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's such a game. Such a good Devo. Yeah. And then I, um, I just preached on, uh, Matthew five sermon on the Mount. And I wish I'd had this book when I actually taught on it, but it's called Beatitudes from the Backside. So this guy right here, Beatitudes from the Backside from, and it looks like Callis, J. Ellsworth Callis, which that guy is only an author, if that's your, your name, but J. L- Ellsworth Callis. <laughs> and just, I, again, I feel like if what Jesus is saying is true, and I, th- then my attitude towards the machine of church and the machine of pastoring might be a little wrong. And, and to even just say, what are the, what are the things that I believe to be true in my own life? Cause it feels good and it feels safe that I then use scripture to just back up, to reinforce what I already believe rather than going back to Jesus and saying, blessed are the meek and blessed are the humble in spirit and blessed are those who mourn. And so just, I'm, so I'm trying to undo, um, <laughs> Again, love youth ministry, but it's it's a machine, and so I think I'm trying to undo a little bit of that that hype machine that I've that's all I've ever known as an adult. I've got on pastoring by H. P. Charles, and I'm going to be honest, I've, I've read this one a couple times, and it's kind of what Frank said. It is a perfect blend of like the why and the what. And he goes into like how we should care for our own selves. But then honestly, then what does it look like for us to care for others? He goes into how we should take care of our families. Uh, it goes from that all the way to, okay, how should you structure your sermons? And one of the, one of the advantages of this book is he really does encapsulate an entire thought in like three or four pages. It's, I, I like the, it's, I like the skim. Um, who was it? Uh, God's. R.C. Sproul wrote 101 Essential Truths of Christian Faith. like, And he was able to do that, take uh, every theology and put it in like two pages. And this is basically that for pastoring. And it is so good. So uh, I, like I said, I'd encourage that one. It's on the same. If you need a one-two punch from what Frank was saying, that would be the two. I've got, I've got two as well. One for the ministry side and then one for the just you as a human being side. Uh, ministry side, Pipers, brothers, we are not professionals. Come on. I mean, in, in a world of how fast can we build our platform, this one will punch you in the face. It is exactly what you need to read, especially when you're starting. Is that Piper? Out. It's Piper. I would imagine that's free at DesiringGod.org too as well. It, yeah, as it could e-book. be. This is, this is the second Sorry. edition, which is great. came out gotcha. in 2013, and it's got a lot of updated stuff in there, especially with social media day and age. And then on the personal side, uh, Jeff, you'll remember this one, Bachman. Because we were uh, introduced to this guy at a, at a conference we were at together, and that was An Unhurried Life by Alan Fodley. And this one, man, this one just did wonders for my soul personally. Is It, it kind of studies the, the ministry of Jesus and his rhythm between work and rest and the importance of both and being able to do that well. <laughs> that You just can't overstate how important resting is for pastors. So an unhurried life, Alan Fodling and brothers, we are not professionals. I was cleaning out my bookshelf and like packing up and I had two copies of an unhurried life and I gave it to my junior high pastor. And I was like, look, you can pick from all my youth ministry books, 
but take this one. It's dude, it's so good. If I can, if I can co-sign Unhurried Life, when every time I've heard that breakout, I just feel this immense conviction about rushing and not and not resting. And and just the like the example of Christ, how like he rested, he was patient, he never was in a hurry, and I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> like it's a, it's a yeah. it's a convicting book, man. But it's he a, didn't he, live in America. <laughs> <laughs> so along that same line, I got up just a second ago because I changed my mind about what book. I actually have three now that I'm going to include this one, but this book, the ruthless elimination of hurry. Since what you just said, this book is. Incredible. Great. So read that. But here's the two I'd recommend. Uh, number one, um, I would say this is important, especially if you're going into a solo pastorate like I did. Um, this book is called Gospel Eldership. Um, the subtitle is Equipping a New Generation of Servant Leaders by Robert H. Thune. And uh, what's great about this book is it's actually like it, it's it talks about competency and character, but also about compatibility uh, which is a really important part of I, I have come to learn over the years that, um, you know, there's a difference between theological disagreement and philosophy of ministry disagreement and philosophy of ministry is imp- really important. Um, you know, you it, it's pretty tough to be on an elder board, especially in a small church with somebody who has a very different philosophy of ministry from you. There is conflict that comes from that level of incompatibility. So what I like about this book is that it's actually a book that you read together as a small group of guys and there's exercises in the back and stuff or exercises at the end of each chapter. So this is really practical. I would encourage just you as a pastor to read this and do it by yourself. And then you can walk even guys who are potential elders down the road through a book like this. So really great one. And then this one's super practical. Um, I know in past generations, there was always like, if you went to Lifeway, when that was a thing with stores, you guys remember that? Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) and they always had had those little pastor's manuals. Well, this one from, um, uh, Crossway, really great. The pastor's book. Um, this is full of all the practical things like how to do weddings and funerals and all that stuff. So I would definitely get one of those if you're moving from like a youth ministry role into a lead role or whatever. Um, it's just great. It's written by R. Kent Hughes. Uh, who's a you know a good voice, good author. So that one's super practical. Love it. That that uh, ruthless elimination of hurry um, by John Mark Comer, I believe. Yeah, John Mark Comer. It, he he's such an interesting writer. Like he's like funny, but he's like very His other thoughtful. Books are, His other Dude, books are really good. God too. has a name. Yeah. Like really messed me up. And Garden <laughs> like, City. Garden City really, is great. I've been Garden City, but God has a name messed me up when it comes to like some of the like, thoughts I've never thought about when it comes to like demons and stuff. It was just like, and he's he's one away. of those voices that you find where you're like, oh, he's saying things that have kind of been rattling around in my head, but I don't exactly. know how to put into words because he comes from like a contemplative and Pentecostal background. So yeah, that's, and I would say I'm kind of that I would put myself in that mix somewhere. Ooh, spicy. Hey, hey um, we all these books that you spicy. just heard are going to be in the show notes and uh, with uh, Amazon links. So if you missed one, don't forget like to write Dude, it down. Somebody listening was rewinding like every five I seconds. Know. To catch those. <laughs> I know. Sorry, well, we man. got you. Yeah, we got you. All the links are going to be in the show notes. Um, uh, and it's not even going to be um, uh, like where I make money off of it because Wisconsin doesn't let you do that on Amazon. So go to uh, the show notes so you can get all the links, uh, uh, Amazon links to get any of these books. Every single book that was recommended are, are super solid. Like I'm probably going to – all the books that I don't have right now, I'm going to purchase them right now. Hey. Same. 
this was so fun. Jeff Bachman, thank you so much for being on here. Dude, thank you guys for inviting me. This was I this was so much fun. Is there if this anything, is what being anything? adult pastors is like, I, dude, I'm in. Apparently, I'm going to sign up, man. This is fun. Dude, dude. Well, 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 guess what? Uh, there is a Facebook group that we have, which I don't know if you're in it, but I'm going to make sure you're in it. That is hopefully the same exact vibe as this. And it's called the Practically Pastoring Facebook group where we can keep chatting about what it means to practically pastor. There's obviously Instagram. We have the YouTube channel with amazing – like it's the, the, the video format of this show – as well as clips from the different break, the different parts of the show. It's a great time for everyone to, to check that out. Hey, Jeff, is there anything uh, you want to really just give a shout out? Any podcast, social media that we should know about so we can find more about you, Jeff? Oh, for me, dude. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I like literally, I, I feel like I was telling my friend, I, I was having coffee with my friend this morning. I have been in, uh, in this season, I've been like rewatching stuff. And there was a, a, a song that I used to listen to because of an old TV show that I watched. It's called I'm Waiting for My Real Life to Begin. And I feel like I'm literally standing like at the precipice. There's your big word of like what's happening. And so I don't know. I actually think like as I start handing off keys to other things, I think I'm going to bob off my life a little bit and start quitting a few things. So like where where you can find me, I know for sure. I, I'm Jay Bachman on Instagram super creative and uh the the one the one podcast that i am consistently going to start doing here in the fall is is my bachelor podcast so like i like i said find that on instagram uh i i have been uh doing uh a pop culture one called what it is what it means that has been dormant for a bit and uh i'm like i said i'm i'm prayerfully considering what my future looks like yeah i love it anything you do i am a fan of it so i'm gonna make sure you check it out too yeah. kind it's yeah. been it's i i have loved like i said it is it's it's fun to like like gosh man ministry has gone and brought these people that you just now are call friends and that i you know you see them once a year if if covid wasn't around but that you go these are trusted people that i would ask for prayer and support and and uh and and wisdom and advice so and and those who i got to meet for the first time it's this is cool guys thank you uh, I'm honored to, to be a part and to just add whatever I did or to make your lives more difficult by being mean. So. Silver Fox, we love you. Awesome. Uh, with that being said, uh, make sure you subscribe. Give us a five-star ring on Amazon Amazon because we have a book on <laughs> Apple Podcasts. <laughs> and uh, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe. We are glad that you're here and we want to keep the conversation going. So make sure you go join our Facebook group. With that being said, I'm Frank Gill. I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Delmar Pete. I'm Timothy Miller. And I am Jeff Bachman. And we are Practically Pastoring. See you next time.